Greetings, adventures, and welcome to GNGG Cast. Welcome everyone to Good Night and Good Game, your Geek News Roundup for the week that was. I'm your host, James, and with me this week, as always, is my co-host, Hector. Hello. This week on the show, after the news, it's time to talk about books. Something that we all read, but honestly, we do not talk enough about. I, I didn't know you could read. Hey, hey, I can uh, read. Uh, I can uh, read. It's exciting. Could, can you teach me? Reading is fundamental, my friend. Uh, you can teach me. I can teach gonna, you. I, it's it's going to be a long episode, y'all. <laughs> We're going to get back to that particular comment. Before we start, don't forget that you can head over to goodnight.gg, where as the patron of our show, you can suggest topics for us to talk about. A quick apology to our patrons. This week, I really wanted to get the script knocked out for our upcoming Expanse episode. Mm. But honestly, between the start of the Overwatch League, scripting two shows, and life in general, I couldn't find the time to squeeze it in. I promise, I promise y'all, it is coming. So just hang with us while we do this. Um, With all that out of the way, it is time for... The Prelude. Prelude. All right, this is The Prelude. This is what we've been doing with ourselves this week, what we've been watching, what we've been playing, what's been occupying our free time. And Hector, what has been making us happy? Oh, man. So outside what do you of... Got? Outside of the... like, ah, I've been revisiting a lot of old stuff lately that I don't wish to go into okay. like just right now. I mean... That I, sounds uh, like you're like been like watching porn you watched as like a teenager. Man, I wish. <laughs> I wish I was that entertained. It's more like, okay, so I, I've, I've been watching... Like old shows, like I've watched Arcane again. Mm-hmm. I've been watching uh, Grey's Anatomy again. We've been off the air for two weeks. We have a lot that we can discuss. We ha- we do, we do. Um, like, I-, I have watched new stuff too, but it's just been so... It's been a rough couple of weeks, it has been. man. You know what? Mostly, mostly, you know what I've been doing? I've been playing new video games. And I have a go. lot to talk about there. Look, jump in. Absolute lot to talk about there. So... Uh, to start off, I want to talk about Rogue Legacy 2. Yeah. Rogue Legacy was a game that came out before indies were indies. We're talking like 2013, 2012 when it was announced by Celador Games. Let me tell you before how... Before Souls games were really that popular. But, but before any of before any indie games were popular. This is mm. before, this is like barely after Super Meat Boy and yeah. like, like an eon before something like Inside mm-hmm. or something uh, even similar. So, Cellador Games, their first game, Rogue Legacy, I bought <laughs> through um, a cash app that I can't even remember anymore. Wow, wow that's how it um, was. Uh, what did I buy? It was something, it was the equivalent of Venmo in 2013. <laughs> God, I wish somebody could help me with this, but that's how I bought that game. Right. I bought it with internet money on an internet website that was like, please buy our game, dear God. Yeah, it wasn't Steam or any of those things. No, 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 it wasn't Steam. It wasn't the Steam affiliate. It eventually ended up on Steam, and I was very happy about yeah. that. And Cellar Door Games made sure... Mm-hmm. That the key that I bought worked on Steam, which I appreciated very much, mm. especially in 2013. Yeah. So mm. what, what is this game? This is a roguelite game, and you're probably thinking about a lot of traditional roguelite games like um, Aeon Flux or uh, the original Ori in the Blind Forest. Mm. Um, so a roguelite game, if you're unfamiliar with it, rogue, right. rogue is a genre of video games. Right. You're talking about a procedurally generated game, a game where the level you walk into is a lot like Metroid, but procedurally generated every time by a computer. Right. And when you walk in, you reset to level one every single time. Right. Now, a roguelite versus a roguelike 
means that every time you enter the level, based on the currency you brought with you out of the level, you might level up a little bit. Right. You might have a little more HP, a little more health, etc., etc. In a rogue game, in a traditional what's called quote-unquote rogue game, when you die, you reset to level one and you have no, oh, addition, yes. you have no additional benefits. No, you literally start over from level yeah. one. It's, it's like erasing your save game and starting a game right. over. You but have nothing. In a rogue light, think games like Hades... Yes. The things, the skills and items and things that you acquire over the course of your journey do carry over with you, and that allows you to make more progress. Right. So it is both an it is both a test of skill and also the things that you get to bring along with you. Exactly. It's it's not only a test of skill and a test of the game's mechanics to get you to where you're going, but also a test of how much you have learned about the game along the way. Right. Hades is a wonderful example of this because it forces you to take a god you dealt with in the past and a god you're dealing with now and try and divine how their skills might intermingle to help you on your journey. Right. Now, when I talk about Rogue Legacy, again, I'm talking about a game from 2013. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about a game where you would enter the realm. It would, think of a Castlevania-style castle, Symphony of the Night-style castle. Mm -hmm. There's up, there's down, there's the tower that goes up to the heavens, there's the basement that goes down to the sewers and the waterways, there's the way outstretched area that goes out into the mountains, and every area has a boss, and you need to beat all those bosses and come back into the center and beat the main boss. That's the game. But... When you start the game, you're a knight with like 50 health and 50 mana. And when you walk in with no spells and one sword, you're going to die way, way before you get to the end of that game. Mm -hmm. But when you die, the next person who starts the game, which is you because you're still playing the game, is your child, is that knight's child. Mm -hmm. And that child may be a little, maybe have a, has a little bit more mana mm -hmm. and a little bit more health, depending on what they're doing. And maybe they were born with a vendetta and they have a little bit of extra strength when they swing their sword. Mm -hmm. And maybe they were born with a little bit of a um, blindness for danger. So when they swing at something, maybe they can't see its health. Maybe they can only see its death. Mm -hmm. And so you don't know how much health something has when you hit it right. or how much health you have when you get hit. Mm -hmm. And now you understand how Rogue Legacy works because this character that I just described is an absolute thing that would follow your first playthrough in this game. Mm -hmm. You have a character that's both stronger than you and weaker than you in certain aspects. And as you move through the game and die, you will have amassed a certain amount of wealth in this castle. Mm -hmm. And before you start the game, before you choose an heir to carry on and go through this castle again to play the actual game, you have to think about your castle. And you have to think about whether or not it wants to just grow the portion of the castle that increases your health, mm -hmm. or maybe grow out sideways to the part of the castle that lets you recruit and train mages. Mm -hmm. And now, when you pick an heir, your heir isn't always a knight. Mm -hmm. It's either a knight or a mage. And now your mage has different skills and has right. different abilities to move through this castle. Mm -hmm. And it may have different um, neural atypicalities. Mm -hmm. It may, um, instead of not being able to see health, it may not be able to see color. Mm -hmm. Or it may not be able to understand what mana reclamation is. Or it may have incredibly powerful magic d d amplified by a hundred times, but its weapon has a two-second cooldown. Mm -hmm. And this is how Rogue Legacy worked. And even in 2013, this game was revolutionary. I would argue that 
um, Hades would not be what it is without Rogue Legacy. A game that won Game of the Year across the board just so much. Yeah, absolutely. This game won awards on awards on awards, and I feel like it owes a lot of what it is to Rogue Legacy. So anyway, as we're coming up to what I've done in the last couple weeks, we're talking about Rogue Legacy 2, which came out about two weeks ago. And Rogue Legacy 2, which came out in 2022, feels more modern now than Hades did when it came out. Which was like two years ago. Which was like two years ago. Um, In an isometric platform, this is a 2D side-scroller, very much a la um, Symphony of the Night. Mm -hmm. Very much in a Castlevania-style castle, very a la Symphony of the Night. Very in a rote area we've all been through a hundred times. But the thing is, every playthrough changes the class you are, changes what uh, properties you have, changes what spells you have. You have different abilities based on how much you progress through the game to lock these aspects and certain roles as they randomize through your playthroughs. You have the ability to see all different kinds of neuroatypicalities and literally every character you interact with from the blacksmith to the lady who gives you magical runes to the person who holds your money while you travel across the river sticks to the castle to the person who literally banks between you and Chiron the, the the spirit that takes all of your gold before you walk back into the castle to try again and negotiates a fair price so that you get some return in equivalent mm-hmm. so that you don't lose all your gold every run. Right. There's so much going on. There's an explanation of why the blacksmith needs you to bring him black prints. So the, you keep, you keep uh, going back prints. to this word atypical. Yes. Um, let's talk about the blacksmith for a minute. Cause right. I haven't played it, but this is something you've described to me, which I feel like is very important. Exactly. Because so, Representation very much matters. in this. Oh yes. Yeah. So, and then this is very much a representation, representation forward game because nearly every character you play has some form of what people would describe, at least in the United States as mental illness. They either cannot see a face when, it looks at them or they cannot hear certain words they cannot see colors they cannot hear music or they cannot visualize things in their mind the blacksmith is my favorite example because the blacksmith in any game makes you new armor right and that's exactly what this blacksmith does in this game he makes sure before you go back into the castle like your father and your grandfather did that you have better armor the thing is he has a mental illness where he cannot form pictures in his mind this is a real thing and they use a medical term for it in the game and i'm very sorry that i didn't memorize it i should have for this segment but it's absolutely a real thing the 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 deal is when he describes it to you he explains why the game works the way it does he explains that look you're gonna walk through this castle you're gonna open chests and a lot of time you're gonna find gold every once in a while you're gonna find some wall chicken but very rarely when you open a chest you will find a blueprint i need those blueprints because i can only make you what i can see right because I cannot visualize the, the best blacksmith new armor in the world. And, yes, I'm literally the best best blacksmith you have in all the kingdoms. Mm. But my mental illness means I cannot form blueprints in my mind. So I need you to bring them to me, and I will make you the best armor that anyone's ever seen. Aphasia. Aphasia. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. Thank you, chat. 
Aphantasia? There's so many syllables in all of these, and I I apologize profusely for getting them wrong, but it's an absolutely incredible game, and I would liken it to Hades in both the fun factor and the, like, profoundness factor. The only way this game falls behind Hades is probably in the storytelling because most games from Supergiant are unmatched in their storytelling, and that's what we get. But regardless of all of that, before this, my second favorite roguelite and uh, Metroidvania was Ori and the Will of the Wisp, the yeah. sequel to Ori and the Blind Forest. That's an amazing game, and you should play it. But if the only okay. game you've ever played in this genre is Hades, the second game you should play in this genre is Rogue Legacy 2. And I guarantee you will have an equal and... Also, probably very different experience with this game, and I guarantee you will love it for its quality, for its inclusiveness, and for its just general goodness, and for the studio that made it without exploiting their workers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just going to knock out a couple things real quick because I have one final thing I wanted to talk about, and the inclusivity thing is very uh, important to the final thing that we're going to talk indeed. about. Um, I've been playing Langreaser 2 on the yeah. Switch. One of my favorite uh, games is these tactical RPGs. It's so great playing them on the Switch. Love them. Um, the Overwatch League just started, yeah, obviously. It did. And I it's did, been great. I, I have put out two Outlaws podcasts in the last couple weeks. <laughs> we both worked the live event. Yes, Houston, we did. Houston versus Dallas. And they destroyed Dallas. They destroyed Dallas. It was absolutely fantastic. Loved having you there with me. It was such a good time. For for my first Overwatch League event. But we did watch a movie together. Although we watched a lot of movies together. We watched a few movies together. Uh, We literally just just got out of Doctor Strange and came to record this episode. So we we apologize to our audience. We're we're still running. We're still very hyped for the movie we just saw. Yeah. Like, I don't don't know if I can talk about this movie objectively. We we can't talk about it yet. We can't talk about it yet. Spoilers. Um, There is a movie that that I wanted to watch since like 2014 that you had wow. never heard of. Oh no, you're going to make me And talk normally about you're Frank. you normally you're the film buff of the two of us. I am. But I said, look, I literally this, never heard of there's this, movie. this there, there's this film I've been wanting to watch. Hector, will you watch it with me? And you said send me the trailer, I sent you the trailer. Um, the film is called Frank. Now, to give you an in about this, this film has won a couple of awards, mm-hmm. and your two big name actors that are in this are Michael Fassbender and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. Right? Frank is the story of a band in Ireland that gets invited to South by Southwest here in Austin to play their really weird, wacky music that really doesn't click with a lot of people. But the big kind of kicker to this is their lead singer, in air quotes, is this apparently genius named Frank. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about Frank is he has a giant puppet head that he never takes off. He wears a- Michael Fassbender, one of the most beautiful men on the face of the planet, mm-hmm. wears a mask for 99% of this movie. Oh, yeah. Easily 99%. How did you feel about this movie? Tell, tell me like your emotions going through this movie. It is a heavy movie. Because it is a movie about mental illness. Uh, it's a movie about mental illness. It's a it's a black comedy, and I fucking love black comedies. I love that being able to take um, joy from this shared misery that mm. people have, uh, uh, especially when we are all experiencing it together. That makes it doubly sweet. But um, 
what you really got me with with this movie was uh, movies about music. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'd, I'd ask anyone who knows me and anyone in the audience um, over my time on the show, I love musicals. And this is not a musical. It's a movie about people who make music. Um, but the music that they made, I genuinely enjoyed. I... The day after we watched this movie, mm-hmm. I I sent James the um, uh, Spotify playlist link to the uh, song from the end credits, mm-hmm. and I've literally listened to it twice a day since then. It mm-hmm. is haunting and amazing in the context of the movie, and that's how you know a movie sticks with me. When I'm sending the... The, the soundtrack to uh, uh, people who experienced the movie with me and also to people who haven't seen the movie who I think would like it, who I just want to try and hook with a song. And it's not that the song is great. It, you need the movie to experience the song, so watch the movie first. But It's a movie that's happy and sad and dark. and It's a movie that displays mental illness in a such a positive way. It does, yes. In a way that is like... This is who this person is. Yeah. And we do our best to accommodate them and 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 we hope they're happy. Yeah. But uh they have talents mm-hmm. and they're pursuing them. And they have uh, blockades and they have roadblocks the mm-hmm. same way that most talented people do, but we're 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 doing our best to just you know, let them be who they are. And when they do something truly amazing, like make art that resonates with the rest of us, we we should cheer and we yeah. should applaud. And um, a lot of this movie is about that, but some of it is also about the the, the pain that they go through when they create this art at such a at, at such a finite and such a ephemeral level as to base your entire mental aptitude on what you're producing, what you can give society. There's a moment in this movie and it it's not a spoiler because it shouldn't be out of character where an incredible music maker collapses on stage when he realizes the music he's playing on stage is shitty. Mm-hmm. And that that kind of perfectionism and that kind of a need to come correct with what you're presenting to the world really really spoke to me. And there's definitely beauty in the darkness of this movie. Oh, absolutely. And and there's, a, there's a really oh great God, line. I loved it. And I, I don't want to put context on it. I just want to give you the line because I really do want everybody. To, I, this was a movie not a lot of people saw, but did win awards. Mm-hmm. One character is speaking to the parents of Frank and says, what's wrong with him? Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that he, the main character puts it is in a way that's like almost offensive. It's right. like, what's, what's, what's his damage? Right. What is, why is he such a good artist? How did, how is he hurt? What, what, what was the thing that broke him? Right. Right. Assuming that something in the household, somebody touched him inappropriately, something happened to make him the way that he is. And his parents say that is what it is. Yeah. Mental, always, me, yeah. mental illness cannot always be defined. We gave him a, a warm home environment. Right. He had everything that he ever needed. Some people just have these problems. Yeah. And that line is so fucking profound, as simple God. as it is. It's, it humanizes so much of the population that, that, that you wouldn't think 
Not that you wouldn't think needs humanizing, but that you wouldn't think feels a certain way until you until you see it, mm-hmm. until you see it through through someone's eyes who is judging them. And for all intents and purposes, and this is what I love about this movie is that the the, the main protagonist of the movie is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, is that you get their point of view because they think they're the good guy, yeah, and they think they're doing some mentally damaged human a favor by presenting them to the world so that they can make money. And this isn't the tale of some like shitty, like dollar signs in the eyes producer. This Mm -hmm. is from somebody who just wishes they could write songs and just wishes they were a musician. And, slowly over the course of the movie discovers that they have no talent mm-hmm. and the people around them that do um, don't don't need their help yeah. and, and probably are better off without We've it. We've described so much of this movie and there's so much more that we could say. We could do an entire episode just about the oh, movie. easily. Please, please, please go look up the movie Frank. Again, Michael Fassbender, Maggie Gyllenhaal. It oh, is a yeah. fantastic indie movie. Please, if you one of the no elder Weasleys from Harry Potter, if that's your thing, yeah, like it's it's absolutely fantastic. We need to go ahead and close up the prelude uh, because we've been going on for a little while. But please go watch Frank. That is everything that we have. Watch for Frank. The, watch, please. That's everything that we have for the prelude this week. We're gonna take a small break. When we come back, we'll be going into our main news segment in the weekly raid. The weekly raid. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is the weekly raid. Our new news highlights for the week. <sighs> Starting things off this week, we are going into a sad note. Um, Legendary comic creator George Perez died at the age of 67. Um, If you don't know him by name, he has worked on almost everything that you can think of, from the Avengers to Teen Titans to Crisis on Infinite Earths. And he was the lead artist on something that was very close to my heart, the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, I normally don't get personal during a lot of the new stuff, but I wanted to take a minute. Um, For those of you who don't know me personally... Um, the Infinity Gauntlet was probably one of the biggest comics that was important to me growing up. Um, I remember being very little and going into a comic book store and the local comic book shop had like the, um, advertisement for the Infinity Gauntlet series that came out in 1991 and they were going to throw it out. And I asked them if I could buy it off them and they're like, yeah, sure. Kid like 50 cents. Like you can have this. And and I bought it and I hung it in my room and I read those comics. Um, the Marvel, the, the modern Marvel cinematic universe that we saw that came down to infinity Gauntlet or the infinity war and all that stuff. Um, was all based in books that I read growing up. And those were books that I never thought would ever get translated to the big screen. Yeah, I saw Iron Man when it came out. I saw Captain America. I saw all this. But Thanos was such a complicated villain that I always in the back of my head said, like, there's no way. There's no way they're going to, like, make Thanos a thing. Yeah, that had to explain so much. Yeah. It's like it would take them, like, 10 years. It would take them, like, 10 years <laughs> to, like, describe this villain that I adored growing up. Um and George Perez was the artist for all these comics that I read and the news of his death. Just it's, it's hard to describe because it's my entire, I still have that poster. I haven't framed it. Like I I have it tucked away in like a little cardboard box and I I intend to get it framed someday. 
Um, and it's literally just a promotional poster. It says mm-hmm. like the Infinity Gauntlet coming nineteen, like like September nineteen ninety one, and it's literally the 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 image is of the first issue, like it's okay. the, the cover of the first issue, and it just it lived on my wall. It's one of the few things from my childhood that has always stayed with me. And yeah, it sucked to hear this legend that that, that wrote and drew so many things that I loved growing up. Um, so I just wanted to take a minute and talk about that because it was so impactful to me and really just give a cheers to, to George Perez. Fucking absolutely one of the greatest to the greats. God, let's get into some fucking happiness. Yeah. In an epic, ca- epic casting choice mm. for the upcoming Dune sequel, Ooh, Christopher Dune Walken movie. has been tapped to play the emperor in the new Dune movie. Why is this important, Hector? <sighs> give us, the, give us, let's take this Jump into the Wayback Machine. As an elder millennial, <laughs> let me tell you. God, we are dating ourselves here. Let me tell you about my childhood. One day, um, I was probably 15 years old, mm-hmm. and I walked into the Hastings in McAllen, Texas, mm-hmm. to browse their DVD collection mm-hmm. to look for something... A bargain-ish mm-hmm. that I could buy, knowing that I couldn't afford any of the anime that I actually wanted to buy because it was, was expensive. Because it then. was an import, mm-hmm. and that's like thirty bucks a DVD. Mm-hmm. If I was lucky, I could get a movie for thirty bucks, mm-hmm. much less like the DVD one of five of a series. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking around to this Hastings, and they have rows and rows of what look like bookshelves but they house cds and they house dvds and there's even a, pl- a shelf along the wall where you can rent things and there's a big screen at the top where they played music videos mm-hmm. and i'm looking around looking at a friend of mine let's call him an acquaintance mm-hmm. who liked to shoplift who was stealing all of the um <laughs> uh uh, the, 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 the recordable CDs and DVDs yeah. out of their packages and putting them in his cargo, in the pocket of his cargo pants yeah. that lines like your thigh slash calf. <laughs> so that was his deal. And I was sitting there just like wishing I could afford movies. Right. Watching the screen. And on comes Fat Boy Slim's Weapon of Choice. Mm-hmm. This is so I knew who Christopher Walken was from right. a lot of movies. Um, I rented the Angel series growing up. Mm-hmm. I loved King of New York, um, but I was also a really big fan of Christopher Walken from like uh, just a lot of random stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because um, he's in a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. But there he is in a music video by Fat Boy Slim which was not a musical genre that we thought of at the time mm-hmm. this was more in the realm of uh, a techno i yeah, would it was, say it was, it was called quotes. it was called techno back in the we day we would have called it techno in the yeah. world there was back no then. edm there was no house none of that stuff it was just called right. techno back then right right it was music made by instruments we could not see with our physical eyes yeah and voices that no human being could create out of their lungs and, yeah. and, and, and chords. And so this is what was happening on the screen. While Christopher Walken at first danced around a hotel lobby and then flew on strings the way that su- the Richard Donner cut of Superman Christopher Reeve <laughs> yeah. flew around. Just like from the hips and like posing yep. and like flying and just like moving around this lobby. And I was like, this is the greatest music video of all time. Uh, let me listen to Fat Boy Slim's other music. Oh, God. 
what happened. This is terrible. So during the, the course of the song Weapon of Choice, one of the big midsection. Oh, yes. There is a line in this movie. And, and this is how we lead back, dear reader, yeah. to where we're going. Um, part of the chorus is part of the chorus, if you could call it that, in the movie where Christopher Walken is doing his best little leg twirl dance. Mm-hmm. The line is, if you walk without rhythm, mm-hmm. you won't attract the worm. And it goes just like that. If you walk without rhythm, you won't attract the worm. And he does this about three or four times before taking off in flight and moving on. And then my childhood was over and I never thought about that particular sentence ever again. Mm -hmm. Until today, when someone told me he will be playing an emperor in the new Dennis Villeneuve fucking Oscar magnet true art fucking couture epic sci-fi movie that I cannot wait for and could talk to you for several hours about the last movie. But what's the important thing about walking in the sand in the universe of Dune? So, for those of you who don't know, in the story of Dune, they're on a planet that is made of sand. It is a desert planet. And if you try and move across the sand... There are giant sandworms. And when I say giant, I mean, like, like consider a worm about the size of a skyscraper that can literally sail through sand the way sharks swim through water. And just coming out and eating whatever makes vibrations in the sand. Therefore, there is an entire tribe of people who, when they walk across the sand, do not create a rhythm the way that walkers would do they move carefully they cadence their steps they cadence their slides and there's no rhythm in the way that they walk so that they do not attract the worm that will eat them all come full circle and it has been prophesized by fat boy slim it has been prophesized. Uh, I'm pretty <laughs> sure at this point that Fat Boy Slim is one of the many mothers. And, you know, uh, the Quitzat Satarak is the product of Fat Boy Slim music videos. And also, most likely, Christopher Walken. Honestly, I think it all just goes back to Christopher Walken. I can't wait for When this. he became king excited. of New York, he pretty much cemented all of this going forward. <laughs> All right, moving on. One of our favorite games of all time is coming to the small screen. Remedy is working with AMC to develop a live-action Alan Wake television show. And I personally feel like this has potential. Now, I would love to hear exactly why you feel that way as someone new to the Alan Wake series. I am new to the Alan Wake series. So if you're unfamiliar with the Alan Wake series, there's only one game. But Alan Wake is the story of a writer who is essentially Stephen King in his universe... Um, and at some point the stories that he is writing start coming true. He loses his wife in an unexpected accident. It's episodic, by the way. It Mm -hmm. is a beautiful game that has amazing, like, like the end credits of every episode because it's broken up into five episodes. Yeah, and you get credits at the end of all of them, like their TV shows. Yeah, it's fucking It's broken up like it's TV. It was not sold. These were not sold individually. It was just one game that was coming, that came out. And you would get like Poe is like one of the like exit songs, like Poe's Haunted is like one of the exit songs of like episode two. And I was like, oh, I'm fucking sold here. And 
everything about Alan Wake lends itself so well to AMC doing a television series about it because already the the game itself is episodic. There's also mini there's a mini TV series inside of the show itself called mm-hmm. Nightfalls, I think is the name of it. Yeah, which is just like... like their, their version of the Twilight like, Zone. Yeah, they all wish they were David Lynch making the Twilight Zone, but within their own show that they're just writing right now. Yeah. It is a weird game that has so much potential. And because the universe is so open, I think that it would make for a very good TV series as long as they embrace the weird of Alan Wake's universe. Right. And, and honestly, that, that means like tapping into the control universe at that point. Oh, God. I you got to so. You got to bring that level of weird with it. So the flesh of fallen angels, right? <laughs> like Like as we talk about. The, the 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 Lynchian aspect of mm-hmm. Remedy's writing, as it has been throughout the years, from Max Payne to Alan Wake, uh, all the way into Control from that game they did in the middle with Xbox that I always have a hard time remembering the name of, even though it's actually very good. Um, this okay. There's one way this TV show can be good. Okay. In my in my opinion, your humble opinion. The, in my humble opinion, having helmed several successful TV shows in my life, the only way that I can see this TV show succeeding is if they one hundred percent embrace the show that was made in the game. Mm-hmm. They now, now, now I'm not talking about the David Lynch parody. I'm talking about the game itself. Mm-hmm. I want them. To embrace the weirdness, to embrace the 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 the, the, the Twin the, Peaks aspect the, there's of a, it. There's a campiness to the angst yeah. that is correct. There is an ennui to the wow. Pacific Northwest <laughs> where you will feel the overcastness and the oppression mm-hmm. and understand when a writer faces off against a shadow of something he wrote with a handgun mm-hmm. and he can only fight it in the light and then Poe plays in the background. <laughs> this is a very specific... It's literally my shit. You were literally no, no, describing no, I know. my I know. shit. There is a fucking vibe here <laughs> that they can and absolutely should have all of the skill to nail. Yeah. And what I'm saying is if they don't, it's probably a bad show. Probably going to be because, a bad show. Because I have high hopes. Be, because they, they have everything they need to make it good. And all they have to do is just... What do they say in Ratatouille? Follow the recipe. <laughs> okay. Just, like the chef's job is to create. Our job is to follow the recipe. <laughs> just, just. Please. I'm loving your references today. They're please. so fucking solid. Uh, also, in casting news that have that has everybody excited, uh, Hayden Panettiere has been announced to be coming back to the Scream franchise after her supposed death off screen in Scream Four. She's going to be in the upcoming sequel. Uh, her living through Scream 4 has been a fan theory for a very long time, and it looked like it paid off. She a little bit died off screen. I mean, that's, that's all you thing. need. That's the thing. She died off screen, and everybody went, 
No, she's alive. Yeah. She's alive. Please, there, there was a whole justice for her character, yeah. like hashtag going around. We literally went through like two hours ago a master class and dying on screen versus off screen. Yeah. So like like we know what that's about. Um, I'm excited for this. This is this is an awesome announcement. Oh yeah. This, no, hit him head into the air. Like oh, okay. So the, the reason this gives me hope is that Stu in the original Scream, played by the brilliant Matthew Lillard. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, we never saw him die. True. And he's been arguing for a long time that he thinks that Stu is still alive. I would I'm love telling that. you. I would watch that movie. Like, I think he's the mastermind. Mm-hmm. This is my theory right now. Oh, yeah. Calling it right as, now. As, as Scream episode. moves forward right, into right. the next generation. The end of the next trilogy, we'll find out who the main bad guy is. Stu has actually been orchestrating all of this. And, so and, 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 he's, and he's the fucking clown from Saw <laughs> who's just been like orchestrating the oh, fucking yeah, Scream universe. I love it. I would watch all of that. Absolutely. Uh, moving on from Scream, Netflix. Uh, it- oh, wait, wait. But we can't move on from Hayden Panettiere before I say save the cheerleader, <laughs> save the world. God damn it. Now we, we can are. go. Now we can go. Uh, Netflix is in a bit of a bind as they are being sued by their shareholders as they've had a noticeable drop in subscribers. According to the lawsuit, quote, as a result of the defendant's wrongful acts and omissions, the precipitous decline in the market values of the company's security. Um, so what this whole, whole mess boils down to is basically Netflix knew what they were doing when they said, hey, we're going to start putting restrictions on accounts. Right. And that hurt the shareholders. Mm-hmm. And the shareholders like, dude, like you're taking. Would, would you rather, would you please stop? Stop doing fucking that. yourself. Yeah. It is, it, and the numbers are there. So, like in Q one of this year, uh, two hundred thousand subscribers left Netflix, and it is estimated that another two million subscribers will be leave, leaving in Q two. <sighs> what what can you fucking say about this shit, man? You fucking eat it, Corpus. Look, get so, your shit together. So, so, so Netflix, right? Like, okay. So let me let me. I'm gonna try and do an analogy real quick. Right <laughs> oh, God, here we go. Here we go. Okay, so let's pretend that I am Jeff fucking Bezos. Mm. I am the richest human on the motherfucking planet. I have not only my hair, but all the money. (laughs) I have everyone's money. I have all of the money in the universe, and I have enough money to literally upend regimes. Mm. I could I could flip a country from right to left, from red to blue. Like just with the with the snap of my fingers mm-hmm. and enough money, there are machines in place to let me do whatever I want, right? And <laughs> then all of a sudden, Elon Musk is really good in the stock market, and now he's a little bit richer than me. Mm-hmm. And someone walks up to me and says, "Bro, we invested in you, Jeff. We, you told us you were always going to be the greatest. You mm-hmm. told us." You were the richest man in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, I was. I, I don't know how fucking, I don't know why someone valued his stock at more than the like GDP of most countries. I don't know why he's the richest man in the world. He's an idiot. He made electric cars. His country sold less cars in the last, like, like its entire lifetime than GM did last year. There's no reason he's the richest man in the world. Uh, you want to talk about rockets? His rockets lose <laughs> money. The government funds that. He's, there's no reason for him to be richer than me. And then they're like, but Jeff, but Jeff, he's richer than you. Answer for yourself. Tell me what you're doing wrong and how you're going to fix it. And now I'm Netflix. 
And now I'm Netflix having literally most of the market share for the entire planet in streaming media. Mm -hmm. And people are walking up to me with a serious face and saying, why didn't you make more money this year than you did last year? Why didn't you make more money this quarter than you did last quarter? Mm -hmm. How are you fucking us and why can we sue you for it? Right. But 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 their response was, well, we decided password... Password right. sharing is the response was the panicked response that anyone would have to this. Uh, 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 we're we're going to make it better. We're going to we're going to clamp down on all the ways that our customers love the way we do business. Right. We're going to destroy the goodwill we have with all of our customers so that we can make a little bit more on the margin, and that way you won't be exactly this mad with us next at like three months. And it went in the opposite direction. And then again. In three months from now, when we have made exactly as much money or maybe 10% less than we did this semester, this three months, mm. next three months, you're going to yell at us again, mm. even though we made 35 times more than our next closest competitor. Yeah. Capitalism's fucked, y'all. <laughs> Netflix is fine. Leave them alone. Don't. Don't harass them so that they ask you to stop sharing your password with your grandma. <laughs> she wants to watch Yellowstone. Let her I watch. She wanted to watch Bridgerton. Let her watch Bridgerton. Let her fucking get her fucking freak on <laughs> all day long with Shonda Rhimes. I'm telling you right now. I my, do. My, my grandmother mother is no longer with us, but I guarantee you Bridgerton would have been her shit. Yes. And I would be happy to share my password <laughs> with her and for Netflix to say the fuck out of my business while they make more money than their next 10 closest competitors combined. Right. You know what? You know what the best streaming service on the planet right now is HBO Max. By far, they have the say best Shutter, content. No, easy. Shutter, close second. very, very close second, yeah. I would have to say. Shutter, Shutter by month to month, probably surpasses HBO Max like based on yeah. content. It's a wrestling match. Yeah. But Net, the, the Netflix money, it's just insane. Mm. And, and then people complain when they don't make more than they did last year, even though they still made I'm more just saying, than if anyone if, ever if has. If they're about to lose 2 million subscribers, that's a big fucking number, though. I can see why they're... You know why they would? Because they did things like making you tell your grandma she needs to pay her own $25 a month right. to watch Bridgerton. <laughs> right. Fuck. Fuck. Let's move on to some fun shit. Uh, Tom Hiddleston was recently asked uh, about uh, Loki being bisexual sure. in the Disney Plus series and how he felt about it. Um, the quote we got from Tom Hiddleston was, uh, I also hope that Loki coming out as bisexual was meaningful to people. Um, it was a small step and there's much further to go, but it was very important to all of us. So this is a really good response. I love him. This is a very good response. It's a political one, but a good one. It, it, it gives representation. It, it, it poses a question, why the fuck not, it, without even addressing it. Like, why would you do this honestly? Like, why not? Yeah. Buy erasure is a thing. It is. And for, and them, you know what, for, like, for them representing, it's very important. It, no, this was literally the best. The only... The only thing I can think of that would be better is like the response I have in my head, which is, bro, 
Loki's like a thousand years old. <laughs> On a long enough timeline, we're gonna touch everything. By the way, if you've like, never just read so you know. If, by the way, if you've never read North mythology, Loki fucks everything. So does Thor. By, by someone show me Chris Hemsworth in the MCU, a thousand years old <laughs> with a dick in his mouth, because it has happened, and no one gives a fuck. At like like. But look, on a long enough timeline of, of of human fucking existence, I don't even have to say human, of conscious fucking existence, yeah. whether you're all powerful or you just have a bunch of people around you, you're going to fuck a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that may not look exactly we, like you or about we, the no, exact no, no, no. You sexual opposite of enough, you. You do not have to say in a long enough timeline. We have been in the middle of a pandemic for the last two years. That's and I true. swear to God, people at some point who were alone started looking around their house going like, hmm, mm-hmm. that cucumber. Though. No, dude, yeah. No that watermelon, lie. that yeah. thing. Like, I mean. Please, please any of you Google how much. Trans porn took off on Pornhub since 2020. Oh, yeah. January. The numbers. numbers I dare you. Look, the long enough timeline doesn't even have to be that long. <laughs> Eventually, you are going to just be like, you know what? That guy's pretty hot. Yeah. No matter how you were born, no matter how you were raised, you're just going to be like, oh, I mean, I mean, I, <laughs> why not? It is Saturday, and I am a thousand years old. Yeah. Well, I I can kind of do whatever I want. And you know what? This guy, he's turning me on right now. There you go. Says Thor. Says anyone. Says everyone. But I do want to... About every gender, about everything. Like, come on. But Tom Hiddleston was great. No, he was absolutely great. And again, there is this whole concept of by by erasure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's so important that Loki got to explore that concept and have it represented on screen because both the writers and directors and everybody wanted that represented. Yeah. Um, so please more of that. Please let's do it. Way more of that. Yeah. Uh, Hector, there's something that I do need to know your opinion about. All right. Um, I'm sure I have one. You have many, many opinions. Uh, Bethesda and Arcane Studios announced this week that both Redfall and Starfield have been delayed. Mm. Um, this is because they want to make sure their games are polished and ready for the first half of 2023. Those games were not ready for Jeff Keighley's uh, E3 show, is what happened. That's honestly just exactly what happened. (laughs) Yeah. Like, 100%. Like, Bethesda, if they had anything to show us at all, I don't know why the camera just decided to die. If Bethesda had anything at all to show us on those games, they would have. Um... So everybody was expecting Starfield to be shown. I I was okay. So we got a Starfield trailer with apparently in-game. I'm using air quotes radio right now. In-game footage. Um, when that happened, the last time we saw it, and that was E3 ago. Mm-hmm. I was last was it, summer. Yeah. So there were we were hoping to see more of that and people moving around and doing things and interacting with the game, and they were like. Nope, sorry. We don't have that. And we don't have whatever Arcane was working on. Let me be honest. Redfall was a vampire game. Exactly. Let me be honest right now. When they made the announcement that uh, Starfield was delayed was the very first moment I heard about Redfall. Okay. I didn't know about Redfall. We watched the trailer for it. We were like, oh, that's really cool. It looks like a Left 4 Dead vampire game. We saw that during E3. 
Yeah, no, um, I, I, I'd forgotten about it. Right. I, 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 I feel like I would have remembered a vampire game made by Arcane, mm-hmm. and if I saw a trailer for it, it was so long ago and so singular that I've forgotten mm-hmm. in the last year. They've been very quiet about it, but Arcane's so, like that, though. Right, and and so yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't at all think about Redfall. I only thought about Starfield, and all I thought was they, they're, they're, they're not ready. Yeah. Which you know what? Good. Take your time, Bethesda, please. Good. I'm. I, I really hope what happened is Bethesda was like, yeah, we've got our checklist ready. We're ready to go. We got everything we need for Jeff Keighley D3 Showcase. We're going to show a ton of Microsoft, Bethesda, Starfield. Here you go, Microsoft. Take a look at this. And they looked at it for two seconds and went, you can't show this to people. Right. You... You can't. No. This is not an E3 fucking presentation. This is dog shit like you did in the past. Every YouTuber in the world is going to spend 20 minutes taking this apart. And it's going to be your fault for putting it on stage. Make a more polished trailer. You know what? No. Fuck this trailer. Make a more polished product. You're not releasing it this year. Okay. I really hope that that's what happened. Please, I really hope that please the fight to fix your shit. Yes, was Microsoft being like, "Oh no, you fucking don't." <laughs> what, what do we look like? Do we look like fucking uh, Todd Howard? Like you're gonna fucking pull this wool over our eyes and just release this shit? Yeah. Get fucked. Make a good product. Okay. I dare you. Moving on to some movie stuff here, uh, 20th Century Studios is making moves by announcing plans to tell a prequel story in the Omen universe called mm. The First Omen. Um, Arkasha Stevenson, who directed uh, parts of Legion and Brand New Cherry Flavor and Channel Zero Butcher Block, is going to be making her first big screen debut with this. No stories are available as of yet. Um, here's my problem with this entire thing that I literally just shot out of my fucking mouth. You want it too much? A prequel to the Omen is difficult because the idea of the Omen is the Antichrist coming from somebody's body. What's the prequel to that? Fucking religion, dude. I don't know. You just, you need, you need, I don't know. The idea is that Damien just came out of somebody and that's what the omen is. And you're telling me what's the prequel? Like, I fucking know that you're literally asking how is God both just and good and merciful, <laughs> right? Like this, this isn't like, yeah, I don't know. The point is this all sounds pretty fun. <laughs> I'm glad that you're on board. It for sounds it. fun. I was just reading this, going like, "What the actual?" Fuck? Look, it might be, it might, and probably will. In a, in a, honestly, in, in be a time where, sorry to get political, but we are that show now, where women's rights are fucking being taken away from them. Yeah, <laughs> like this might be a very different show this, in a few months, depending on what happened. Voting. <laughs> yeah, wise. we're we're very angry about some things right now. So yeah. All right, let's move on from that shit. Over God, Salem, what? Sorry, for those of you not watching on the live stream, Salem literally jumped on a table to grab a microphone and run off with it because that's what he does now. Apparently, he enjoys microphones and moving them. Square Enix made some big uh, moves this week by selling off all of their Western game studios to Embracer, who is a subsidiary of THQ Nordic, for $300 million. Oh, God. This includes things like the Deus Ex, Legacy of Kane, and Tomb Raider franchises. So, $300 million (laughs) for enough franchises that, um, for more franchises than, uh, or or a, 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 50, 
IPs. 50 IPs. We're talking about a number that is not like equivalent to the Blizzard sale, but like close enough to be a thing. Um, 50 IPs. And, and they sold them all to a company that's buying up IP so they, they can continue to make games. THQ, so I'm good with it. THQ Nordic has bought a lot more companies in the last several years than people know about. Oh, absolutely. And it's a very quiet move. Yes. This the, is huge. This is the, a big deal. They're both retaining a ton of development talent so they can crank out games, but they're also cultivating a library that they can sell like an auction house mm-hmm. i think their studio is going to be something to watch in the next couple of years you thought, and i love you, that that and i love that they're doing that like it, it really shakes up the industry in a good way it's like it like <laughs> i don't know how do i describe them they're like a good elon musk in that they <laughs> come in and instead of just like masturbating and all the money they're making they're like oh we can actually make moves to make this system better for everyone and actually mm-hmm. produce something someone wants yep which is the thing that people equate with Elon Musk because of Tesla. Mm. Because they, 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 they made a product that people were like, oh, cars can be better. Let's just do it this way. This right. is good. I feel like THQ Nordic, and I don't know that they're good. I don't. I really don't. They I haven't don't. done anything bad that we've heard about in the news. Yeah, yeah like, like, like heaven, heaven Which, forbid. Which, like, right now is, like, like the like bar. next week, they, like, something comes out and they're, the like... The bar is don't sexually harass people yeah straight point? up like, like there's a lot that can go wrong but i hope they're doing well but in general like they're, they're really shaking up the industry and trying to do things differently and literally buying ip out from under people that they're willing to sell for no reason now i think that the next part of your story mm-hmm. really sells the entire thing because what happened was oh here we go i forgot about where enix decided to sell all of their ip for 300 million dollars for 300 million dollars which is a fucking steal the more we're analyzing the industry these days with the amount of ip they got and the amount deus ex and tomb raider alone are worth deus ex alone is part of a ongoing game and an anthology, which is about to be a trilogy, which is unfinished. They bought a game before its best version is about to come out. They literally like bought like Uncharted right before Uncharted Two came out. Mm-hmm. Like that's what's about to happen with Deus Ex, and and, and like this is going to be huge for them, and I'm so happy for them. But Square Enix sold this. And and and, 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 they, and they and they said this out loud, like in public, like in front of people. They said they would like to shed themselves of some. Uh, they didn't put it in these terms, but like older baggage. They they wanted to get rid of some of their the, the stuff they had lying around, the stuff that was like you know lining the walls up against the floor, stuff that they weren't doing anything with, so that they could get. Into the crypto space, they decided to buy into the um, the area where you uh, you know look at a very bored uh, uh, primate and and purchase that <laughs> fucking NFT for for some kind of value, and that inflates the price of the currency that you're currently investing in, and then hopefully you have more of that currency or have more value in the amount of that currency that you own, but you never ever sell it. You just Hang on to it, and it just it grows I'll, in value. I'll try, I'll try and boil this down. Literally forever. And instead, 
And 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 for that to be able to purchase that, and let's not and and, and you know what I have to put the cherry on top right here mm. at the end that the crypto market crashed like yesterday, <laughs> like like crashed in a way that would make like the people that jumped out of buildings in the twenties because the stock market crashed mm. jump like like three times <laughs> like, like it crashed mad. so yeah they basically sold all their their product these western markets some of the biggest ips of all time for 300 million dollars saying we're going to invest in nfts and crypto and then immediately afterwards the entire market just shit itself yeah. saying like no that's not actually a good investment you imagine it's jack and the beanstalk and they bought magic <laughs> beans and the next day someone was like well all beans uh, are, are fake just so you know um, That's such a good fucking analogy. Just, uh, j- j- just, just so you know, as, as uh, we just learned today, as far as the news goes, beans not real. Beans not real. You can't, you can't plant them. They don't grow. That I hope you didn't buy any beans. Oh, beans! You bought some beans, didn't you? <laughs> oh, what'd you sell for those beans? Did you think they were valuable? Ah, oh, beans. Ah, oh, fuck. Ah, oh, beans. Ah, oh, shit. You, uh, you, you did a goof. You done goofed. You done on the goofed. beans. <laughs> All right, finally this week, I know that we've been off the air for two weeks, but you know what time it is. We have to ask the question again. Blizzard, are you okay? Oh, man. <laughs> I, uh, after all this, I, I kind of a little bit wish Blizzard was okay. <laughs> and, and they're not, though. We have two things to talk about, so let's dive into it. First off, coming to us from an Axios report from the New York City's Employees Retirement System and Pension Funds. That's that's actually a division. They have filed suit against Activision Blizzard uh, over its planned sale to Microsoft. Quote, Given Kotick's personal responsibility and liability for Activision's broken workplace, Mm -hmm. it should have been clear... Uh, to the board that he was unfit to negotiate a sale of the company. Also true. So basically what the, what New York is suing over is saying, you knew about these things that happened within the company. You are covering up these uh, sexual harassment mm-hmm. allegations. You've done all these things. Your sale to Microsoft is done in such a way so that you can be free from whatever would be any lawsuits that would be coming down your way in the future. Now, this is why I love this lawsuit, because there are a lot of ways you could come at this company. And if you were filing a lawsuit that you intended to go nowhere, you would file something like antitrust, right? You would be like, oh, this company is too big. Microsoft's too big to buy Blizzard. That's two big companies coming together. That's a monopoly. It's not a monopoly. They're so, so, so This is them saying the shit out loud. Yes. Instead of, instead of doing it with politics and doing the obvious thing that people can get on board with but they know legally wouldn't go anywhere they went after them for the actual tea they went after them for church they said hey you know how you're abusing all your employees and you're getting sued non-stop for this and now you want to sell to a company that wants to buy you for way 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 too much way way more money than you're worth a a a truly world-changing amount of money um you're literally only selling to get out of trouble. Mm-hmm. And 
They said the, the thing people of New York loud. have the right to sue over this because of their labor laws. Mm. And I propose that every state in the union that is patriotic and loves America adopts these same labor laws because this company should not be allowed to get its uh, to get away with what it's doing anywhere in the United States. And I say that as someone who loves my country. <laughs> so. <laughs> You couldn't tell from this show. But so what I'm saying is they're doing the right thing. They're holding a company accountable and they're basically fucking up their shit because they're they're assholes. And that is what should happen to assholes. The goal isn't to let them profit so that they'll go away. Mm-hmm. That's not how you get people to go away. Look at Donald Trump. The way to get them to go away is to sue them into the ground for being pieces of shit when they were. Yep. Do more of this, all of corporate America. Please yep. and thank you. Yeah. So the last bit of news for the for the week is very, very personal to me. So let's get into it because mm-hmm. I want to go ahead and just quote Eurogamer for this um, to have it all make sense to everybody. So the quote from Eurogamer is Activision Blizzard has uh, written to shareholders urging them to vote against a New York state proposal that it should publish an annual report detailing the effectiveness and outcome of its efforts to prevent abuse, harassment, and discrimination in its workplace. (laughs) Similarly, it also wants shareholders to vote against a proposal to put in, uh, an employee representative on its board. Okay, oh, wow. so wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the reins here for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you go. And the reason that I'm gonna do this is because um, uh, I'm an Activision Bl- uh, Blizzard shareholder, actually, and I had to vote on this. Just so you know, just just putting it out there for sake of we are media, and I should put it out there that I am on the board, and I did get to vote on this. And the things that I read this week during this vote fucking offended me. Yeah. And I do not try and get angry on this show, but I am pissed. Let me talk about this real quick. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and just take control of the mic right now. And let me tell you about some of the things that we got. So uh, I'm going to literally copy paste you the votes, the, the things that I had to vote on as a shareholder this week. Shareholder proposal regarding the preparation of a report about the company's effort to prevent abuse, harassment, and discrimination. Now, as a shareholder, by the way, we don't just get what the proposal is. We get what the board is recommending to us to vote for. Mm -hmm. All right. They tell you how they want you to vote. Yeah. They literally tell us how they want us to vote, how, how they want us to vote. So, shareholder proposal regarding the preparation of a report about the company's efforts to prevent abuse harassment and discrimination the bare fucking minimum literally just tell people what we did to solve the problem yeah board recommendation against yep calling it right now letting you know right now that's what we got please 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 god don't tell anyone what we did to 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 solve this problem by the way i didn't vote that way just so you know (laughs) Let's go into the next one. Shareholder proposal regarding the nomination of an employee representative director. Literally somebody who works with the employees that represents them and gives their voice 
to the board. A voice for the people to the board. Board recommendation against. I would really like to not have anyone telling me what any of the poor people who work for me think. Yeah. Yeah. Again. Hmm. Please. Por favor. <laughs> the next vote. There was a lot of votes on this, by the way. I had to vote on like 20 different things. There were a lot. Yeah. Uh, advisory vote to approve our executive compensation board oh. board recommendation. What, what do you think the board recommendation for I that one is? I feel like if the board asked you to vote on whether or not they would get money, money. is probably a please yes vote for yeah. me to have some money. Yeah. Please. Board recommendation is for. Please. I'm not going to tell you how I voted, but I'm going to let you guess. For anyone in the audience who's ever seen an episode of Parks and Recreation, (laughs) who knows about John Ralphio and his sister, and when they look at their dad, who is upset that they just lost the election he bought for them, and they go, money, please. (laughs) This is exactly what the board just did to literally all their shareholders. Money, please. Now, I won't go into all the other votes that I had to take Fuck part in people. for it. Um, but what I will say is that we did have to vote who should still be on the board. Mm. Um, I, won't I t- vote for no one who asked I, any of these questions. I, 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 won't, I won't tell you all of my votes, but I will tell you one of the votes was should Bobby Kotick stay on the board? And the board was saying Bobby Kotick should stay on. I won't tell you how I voted, but I'm going to let the listeners really just like sink that one in for a second. Yeah. Y- y- y'all should know at this point. It's like, like, like at what point in the men's right con and the men's rights conference, do you stop voting for Bill Cosby to be the keynote speaker? Right. It depends on the image you're trying to put forward right here with your group of people who are also rapists, <laughs> but at some point when your public rapist is public enough, you you probably don't want them helming, helming the keynote sessions of your organization. That's a deep cut, but woo, I see where you're Bobby going. Bobby Kotick. He did approve a lot of people who... Is put, Bill Cosby for video games. That's what I'm God saying. God damn it, that is so good. That's what I'm saying. It took you there. a while to get there, but holy shit, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. I'm going to let all that sink in. We have a lot to think about. We're going to take a small break. And when we come back, we're going to be getting into our, our main topic, a happier topic. Happy. In the boss room. Boss room. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is the boss room, our main topic for the show. Sometimes related to the news, sometimes not. This week, I want to talk about something that a lot of us do, mm-hmm. but probably don't spend nearly enough time talking about. Reading books, whether it be audiobooks in paper form or e-readers, if you're into that. Books have always been a really big part of our lives, but we don't talk about them as much, right? Like, we talk about shows, we talk about movies, we talk about comics, but, like, when was the last time somebody was just like, by the way, bro, here's this book I've been reading? So, I want, the, there's a lot of really obvious jokes I want to make. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I didn't know you could read, or like, uh, you know, there's so many, like, like nerd book jokes. Yeah. But what I really want to ask um, you right now, and you oh. can ask me the same question, All right. is what is the first book you remember reading and just grokking? The first oh, book that God. you, like, 
you were like, you picked up a book and you started reading the words and then you read the whole story and you were like, oh, I read a book. Fuck. Okay, that's that's a hard question. I mm-hmm. mean, so... Mine's really classic. That's why I know how to ask this I, I can't. I can't give you a specific book, but I can tell you a story if you like. Yeah, I love um, that. And, and my parents would will repeat this ad nauseum. Um, we were one of those weird households, because uh, I'm an old... Um, there was a big thing back in the 80s and early 90s where mm-hmm. you could like buy the Stephen King library in air okay, quotes. Yeah. Um, kind of so writing like, that yeah. encyclopedia wave of right. like, yeah, you just get all the books. And so we had like so many Stephen King books growing up. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my earliest memories was and it, it's it's really hazy. This is like like an early like emotion like that I remember is having a Stephen King book open and having a dictionary open and I would read what I could and then go into the dictionary for the words that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing. But my mom always said that I was a big reader growing up. Okay. Um, she always read to me growing up. And so like reading was a big, I, I was that nerd who read all the time. Like, like, mm-hmm. like they'd be like, Jamie's not paying attention because he's reading a book. Like that was mm-hmm. a whole thing like growing I gotcha. up. I got um, you know, uh, it was a really weird experience for me when it comes to books that, um, way later in life, into my twenties, I went and saw like a Narnia movie oh, and, okay, yeah. uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and so I went and saw Those that movies are wild. And, and I was just like talking to my mom about it. I was like, yeah, I went and saw this fucking Narnia movie. And she's like, how do you fucking not? remember Narnia and I was like what do you mean and she goes those are your favorite she, she definitely she, read you those she, books yeah, she at your like, age yeah she oh was like God. I read you those books growing yeah. up and you loved them and I was like I have no recollection of those someone books someone read me those books growing up yeah, yeah. I had no, had no recollection of it uh, but apparently I, I absolutely adore them I don't now because of the fucking iconography of it but mm. but yeah like my earliest memories were actually reading things like <laughs> Stephen King and like okay. um, you know I mean uh, you want to talk early memories I mean I want to talk about the Scholastic Book Fair Right, oh, right. Oh. You get to go to school with a couple bucks and buy something, <laughs> you, and 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 I got. Correct to, me if I'm wrong. You went to public school. Uh, so I went to a magnet school for the first four years mm. of elementary school, and then I was mm. in public school after that. Okay, I did not understand what magnet schools were. I, right. I thought my elementary school experience was the same as everybody. The else's. only reason I say that is because until I was until I was in ninth grade, I went to private Christian schools. Oh Lord, and our book fairs were different. Oh, you didn't have scary <laughs> stories to tell in the dark. Oh, oh no. my man! No, 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 we did not. Um, okay, how do I start this story? <laughs> the first book I ever read, where I realized I read a book. Now, I've always been a reader. I've always loved to read. I've always loved to think of myself as intelligent. The The, the kid I most identified with on television in the early, early 90s was literally Steve Urkel. Okay. That was that was my qualifier for, like, I'm the kid who knows things. And, right. like, other people don't know these things. And I say them out loud. And they either call me a nerd or they think I'm useful, depending on the context. Yeah. This is what I learned from that show. This is how, with the personality I, 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 I found. None of it was about reading. I, I I read about science um, uh, just because uh, for anything that scared me. My mom drilled this into me early. Um, I, I grew up afraid of thunder and lightning, okay. and my mom did in response to this when I, I might have been in the first grade. Took me to a local public library, found us a children's book on lightning, and we read it together. 
And this is like something I remember very, very early as like defining how I interact with facts and like topics and things Mm -hmm. that scare me. But in the third grade in my literature class, in a private school, they were just lying around was the book Black Beauty of all oh, fucking wow. of all fucking classics. Okay. This is a book from the point of view of a fucking horse. Mm-hmm. And I was like halfway through it before I realized how much I liked the story. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, I was done with it. Yeah. And this is the first time I remember really engaging with a story in like a, in a, a what's the word? A uh, immersive sense. Yeah. Where like I would look up from my desk and look around and be like, oh, wait, everyone's not this horse right now. Because right. I'm fucking I'm, I'm this horse right now. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, y- y'all are missing out, and then I'd like mm-hmm. get back into my book. That was my book, and moving forward from there, and this totally um, informs the more I think about it, my view on movies and songs and like everything else. It's all about like immersion. Yeah. That's why I love Frank so much because yeah. of how immersive it was. But this is what books are to me. Books take you to a place. Um, what can I say? What am I thinking right now? Books are a product of people with strong imaginations. Mm-hmm. People who can write words and rely on the people reading them to like get it. Yeah. To like form that picture in their mind and really imagine the space they're trying to create. And books are why I write. Yeah. And, books, and books are why writing is not something that I pursue as a profession, but something that I do is a personal thing. Mm-hmm. I write stories that nobody will, you, you've never read any of my stories. Never not once. I've written a bunch, but you've never read any of them mm-hmm. because it's all been very personal to me. No. It's, and it's, I respect that. I like, would never like ask if you didn't want to show, show me anything. I mean, bro, it's so bro, personal. bro, I got some cyberpunk stories. I think you dig. Yeah, I probably uh, would. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, write or like reading is why I wanted to write and it's why I still pursue it and why I still love it. Whether or not anybody reads a single word that I've ever written, it's because I got to read amazing stories and that encouraged me. It was, so it's multi-factor on that one because mm-hmm. I got to read amazing stories growing up. I got to write. And I want to give a shout out to teachers mm. real quick because mm-hmm. teachers did read my short stories growing up and said like this kid had something. Multiple teachers did, and that kept me wanting to read and wanting to write. And bless all of you teachers who find those potentials in the kids that you have in your classrooms because you are defining the next generation of great writers. Like, please. You are not given enough credit. You are not paid enough. Just credit to all the teachers in the world. No, 100% shout out to that. My mom loves to read. She loves to read with all her heart. I... I'll I'll tell her about a book or or, or something like that, and she'll absorb it. Mm-hmm. My mom didn't teach me to read; she didn't instill that into me because I don't think she had the language to impart to me what it meant to her. Right. My mom knew how to tell me about book series that she loved, but it was stuff like Little House on the Prairie and End of Green Gables, right. and you know, like stuff that just would never speak to me. Yeah. And she didn't have the language to tell me why it meant something to her and why. Uh, you know, I might enjoy it, why I might connect with that. But at the little school I was going to that she would drop me off at in the morning, um, that a teacher 
and, and it, this is just such a wonderful school. And and and, and I, I I take time oftentimes to shit on the education I got because it was very religious. But the schools that raised me were full of people who only wanted the best for their students. Mm-hmm. So my mom needed to drop me off early because she had to go to work early because she was a single mother. Mm-hmm. So the school opened at seven. She needed to drop me off at six. So the teacher met me there at six. Yeah. And between six and seven... That teacher read to me from the Narnia Chronicles. Mm. And I didn't know I liked reading. Yeah. But I knew I loved stories. And I absorbed those stories. And we went, in a year, we went through the entire Chronicles. We went through 10 books that year. Stories that were way above my reading level, way beyond my comprehension. But she just read them to me, knowing that, I was going to be there for an hour and she needed to get through some content and that I was just absorbing it. But there was a, there's a window there into like reading and into understanding. And this is what I want to say about you like shouting out teachers, because this is a teacher who literally understood the value of educating me in the hours that she shouldn't even have to fucking be there. She just needed a cup of coffee. She needed a cup of coffee and to like chill for a minute. And instead she got a fucking five-year-old who like had been awake for an hour and had no coffee, but had more energy than like 10 of her (laughs) Right, needed something to do. And she's like, well, I've, I've got some books for you. Yeah. And like, yeah, teachers teaching people like me very young to appreciate stories, to appreciate the way they're written, to appreciate the the insight we get from them and the type of people we learn about who aren't us just by reading a character someone else wrote based on either someone they knew or maybe someone they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Teachers forever, man. Like, yeah, backing all of them. Uh, I want to talk a lot about this entire segment supposed to be about books, uh, but I will go into a quick teacher memory. Mm -hmm. And that was I was going into, I think, my either sophomore or junior um, year of English in high school. And I was really excited because one of the books that were originally on the proposal for what we're supposed to be reading was Paradise Lost. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of in my weird, like, pagan phase, but I was really fascinated by, by Paradise Lost as a book. And, um, when I got to that point in high school, um, you know, I, I got, I literally told the teacher like first day, I was like, Oh, I'm so excited. We're going to talk about paradise lost. And she was like, yeah, by the way, that book got banned this year <laughs> banned books. and, uh, we've got to toss all these out. And I was like, really? Like, this is like the one story I was excited about. And she was, she literally grabbed one off the shelf and like, before I, I burn this, like, before I have to burn this, like, here you go. And handed it. To, I still have that copy of paradise lost actually. And she goes, yeah, I want you to fucking read it. Like, please read every fucking word of this. Some fucking rescued burned yeah. book. Yeah, exactly what happened. So teachers aside, we all love you. Let's talk about books themselves. Um, Hector, I got to know, what mm. makes a good book for you? Um, the way that I was describing um, earlier, what makes a good book for me is literally immersion. And I'm, I'm easy. I'm a bit of a book slut. Mm. I have a very active, very malleable imagination. Mm. Give me pretty much anything. Describe a world to me. And I'm, and, and I'm kind of in. Maybe my love of Avatar as, as a movie and a series mm. and, and a franchise might attest to how much of a slut I am. Because if you give me 
a mediocre story and an amazing world that I can like sit myself in and think, oh, I would be there. I want to live there. Right. Like I do this with real life all the time. One of my favorite genres of YouTube videos is just people walking around Japan because I love to be like, look at that. Look at that apartment. I could live in that apartment. I wonder what my job would be. This is what I do in books. So if you're going to hit me with a book, I need world building. I need world building that makes me feel like I could I I could be a citizen in this place. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're talking about, if it's if if it's you know if it's mocking mocking Jay, if it's uh, you know some foray tween content, if it's Lord of the Rings, if it's The Expanse, which we're going to talk a lot about here at the end. Um, Give me a place where I can think, uh, where I can picture myself being, whether I'm downtrodden, whether I'm rich, whether I'm uh, socially acceptable at all. Like, mm. like, like, give me a place where I feel like I belong and you're, you're in the right spot as far as it goes when it comes to writing. And maybe what I'm saying is fiction versus nonfiction. And I like, yeah. uh, it, it, okay. I read a lot of nonfiction, but only to make myself angry. I never come away from a nonfiction book happy. See, I'm the opposite. Okay. So when I, when I talk about loving books, um, I, I can literally pull up my Audible because I, I don't spend mm-hmm. a lot of time reading these days. It's just how Nobody it is. Does. No, no. Like all but, of the books I've read in the last five years, and let me just put this out really quickly. All of the books I've read in the last five years have been audiobooks. Yeah. And I didn't read them in air quotes. Yeah. I, I listened to them. Look, but look, listen, that's how I engage with, with, with books these days yeah. because I'm, I'm either driving or and doing something. And by the something. way, there is no wrong way to engage with books. Absolutely. Whether you're reading it on paper with e-readers yeah no they're if somebody says that's yeah. the wrong way to read something no. tell them to go fuck the hell absolutely off. no no there, there's literally a there's an art to audiobooks that comes secondary to the prose and the written word that is voice acting mm-hmm. and actual reading for context the way that all of our kindergarten teachers did for us when we were five years mm-hmm. old but this is a skill you need to produce a, a show. good audiobook there's a show that we watched this week yeah. <laughs> called our that is called our flag means death our flag means death. it is a taika watiti show we didn't want to talk about it too much because we only watched one episode of it but there's an entire storyline around the fact that the captain of this ship reads pinocchio to the people on his ship who Mm -hmm. cannot read right and when they talk about doing a mutiny yeah they're like literally should we kill him and throw him overboard some of them are like but he reads to us at night he says he reads to us at night and he does the voices and he does the voices and one of them's like well I can do the voices and he's like do the voice no that was fucking terrible you can't be the captain that literally decided like whether or not they're going to be doing a mutiny like it's it's a brilliant show please watch it it's gay as hell it's fantastic when we loved it um when I when I look at books, so I can pull up my Audible file right now. Oh yeah. I, so I try and I'm going to at the end for recommendations. Um, I cycle between two types of books: fiction and nonfiction. Um, and that's because I'm ADD and I can go down a rabbit hole really quick. And so if I stay on nonfiction, I will stay on nonfiction for months. And so by putting rules in place where I alternate between fiction and nonfiction. That means I get to read an expanse book and then oh, read a nonfiction yeah. book. And so okay. I, I cycle between them for me. Yeah. Um, when it comes to making a good book, it is engagement. 
So I'm going to give you two different books uh, that I can be engaged with. There's one about uh, game development, mm-hmm. right, and um, how certain games were created. Um, there's some there's some really great titles out there. I literally recommend like 500 of them because I've yeah. read a million of them. Um, and that's great. And I get to read about these game developers who never really get to tell those stories before. But at the same time, I pick up a book like The Expanse or yeah. um, so so uh, – I'll give you a real life example. Actually, um, I read like one of the books of the expanse and I was really into it, but I wouldn't mm. read any further because I was waiting for the next season to come out. Yeah. But so in the interim, I read cruelly yours, Elvira, which is the oh. history is the story of Elvira read mm. by Elvira, by the way, audiobooks So superior. Oh, I mean yeah. like uh, actual physical was, book. Fantastic. And that's but, the thing about audiobooks, right? Is that sometimes they're read by the author yeah. and it's like way better than reading the book. Yeah. And Elvira just, she names names. Anthony, Anthony is, Bourdain. For anyone who's asking, yeah. Anthony, any Anthony Bourdain book that is read by him, yeah. that's how you should experience it. But Cruelly Yours, Elvira, I laughed, I cried, I it hit me because this was an, a horror icon that I literally watched with my mother on the couch when I was a child yeah. recollect her history to me. And tell us, she talks about the bad parts Mm. and the bad parts are not good. It is, I want to tell you right now, it is a beautiful book, but there are parts of it that I want to put a warning on because there's a rape warning I want to put on. There's a violence warning I want to put on it, but it is a story that needed to be told. The reality of being in the industry. Right. And she is an amazing human being. And I, it was one of those things where they say never meet your heroes, right? Right. Um, listening to Elvira's book, I want to meet her even more. Mm-hmm. And there was a book that Anne Sterling put out, which is about her father, Rod Sterling. And oh. I was ner- I was nervous about that one going into it because I was like, well, Rod Sterling is literally my literary hero. He's the person that I aspire to be. I write short stories for a reason, and that's because of The Twilight Zone. Yeah. And then I came out of her book, and I realized she's biased because that's her father, but she also talks about there aren't a whole lot of dark parts. There's only like a couple. Yeah. Um, but she was like, yeah, look, there's some dirt, but like, it's not really that bad. Um, it was an important story to tell. And I was like, you know what? I love my hero even more. There's a recent nonfiction book that I read or listened to. And um, I think it's called Daughter of a Ghostbuster. Oh, I think I remember you telling and, me about and, that. And yeah, it's Harold Ramis's daughter. Yeah. And it's about... Um, her life growing up with Harold Ramis and she doesn't cover up the bad parts. Like she actually calls the bad parts out. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you listen or read this book and then go back and rewatch um, Ghostbusters afterlife, I guarantee oh. you the daughter in that movie is based on her. Yeah, like that is, that, that, that is me guessing, that. but I shit you not. It's based on her. So what makes a good book for me is something that engages with me mm-hmm. and that I want to listen to every word of it, whether it be the expanse um, where I want to be in a sci-fi universe or whether it be something like daughter of a Ghostbuster, where I'm want to hear the, the lore of a man that I adored growing up oh, in yeah. my favorite movie of all time. Just listen to them talk about what they're doing. Right. Like yeah. that, that so stands out for me. Um, oh man. I want to, I want to go on to our next question, which um, what makes a book rereadable to you? Because that's a hard one, right? A lot of my books I've read, but a very few have I reread. Oh boy, what I need to look through the books that I've reread. <laughs> and honestly, I'll jump in. I'll jump in and go ahead and start. There's, there's, there's only a handful of books that I've like reread in my life. Yeah. Um, some of them, are, some of them are not nonfiction. Stephen King's on writing. I actually 
in air quotes, religiously read once a year. Mm-hmm. I have a copy in audiobook form. I have a copy on my shelf that is highlighted with notes that I, I literally take new notes every time that I read it mm-hmm. because I think you're growing as a reader every time that you do it. Um, sorry, Will is sneezing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, that one makes a little bit of sense because I'm just trying to get back into a writing groove. Um, Fiction-wise, it's difficult because there are books like Meredith Ann Pierce's The Dark Angel Trilogy, uh, which very few people have actually know about. But by the way, she's a brilliant author, and that trilogy is one of the... It was a cornerstone of my life, and very few people have read it. Please, please pick it up. It's a gorgeous... It is confusing as fuck, and you will need a Wikipedia by the end of it, but it is a gorgeous book. Um, that's a book that I, that I reread. Stephen King's Night Shift, mm. um, which is... A, book, a series of short stories, um, very important to me. Jerusalem's Lot is very important to me. Oh, yeah. um, uh, the, you know, there's so many stories in that one that I loved. Uh, I was just telling you a story before we did the podcast of when I was in speech and debate, and I actually mm-hmm. acted one of the short stories from Stephen King's Night Shift when I was in high school. I am the doorway. Um, that was a really big deal for me. Um, I've reread that one. That was actually one of my first audiobooks. Before I actually ever read Night Shift, there was a series of a uh, couple cassette tapes at the Parma, Michigan Public Library, which is where I spent my summers. Mm-hmm. And they only had two stories on them, which was I Am the Doorway and Jerusalem's Lot. And I, every summer, would check out those books from my library and listen to the cassettes and became obsessed with them. And that was a, very much a cornerstone of the writer that I am today. Books, man. So um, rereadable to me is something that engages you in your imagination in a way that even after you're done with it, you want to go back to it. And I don't want to talk about J.K. Rowling, but we must, we must bring <laughs> up the fact that for a lot of people... The Harry Potter series is infinitely rereadable, not because of J.K. Rowling, but because of the universe that it provides and the escapism that it gives you. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, she tapped into the entire like like before it was a thing. She tapped into into the four A audience. She literally did the Hunger Games before the Hunger Games and made them m- less ridiculous and and more fun. In a place that you would actually like to be. Don't get me wrong. I have a hard copy of every Harry Potter book in my home right now. I I hope to sell that collection for a lot of money one day. (laughs) They're all originals. But when it comes to rereading books, um, there's... There's definitely things that I could reread over and over again, especially when it comes to audiobooks. Um, Things like Dune. Like every every couple of years, it feels like Dune gets a better version with more voice mm-hmm. acting and more like like things to make it more accessible. And the current version of Dune, by the way, like and I know your history with Dune as far as like great. getting like you know like ten percent of the way in and being like this is boring as fuck. And I don't blame you. Literally, he puts his hand in a box and I fall asleep yeah. every single time. Yeah, and I've literally never finished a Dune book in print. But an audiobook, I have gone through the series. I've gone through thousands of years of the Atreides family Mm -hmm. and, you know, all kinds of historical zeitgeist and everything else. And it's because of audiobooks, it's because of the effort that they put into them. But when I'm talking about rereading books, it's one of two things it's either sci fi Mm -hmm. that I want to get back into, a la something like Dune or The Expanse, or. It's something I need to feel mad about again. 
or okay. something that I need to get back into. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm primarily Hispanic. That is what my mom is. That's what half of my father is. That's what my mom's mom is and my mom's father is. And it goes all the way back deep into Mexico. Like my grandparents and my mother still own land in Mexico. It, it is not that far, far away. Even though I am a third generation American. Um, Your name is Hector and you're Hispanic? I never knew Weird, that. right? That is so weird. Yeah, don't even ask me my last name. It'll blow your <laughs> right. mind. But um, so sometimes when I reread books, it's something like The Open Veins of Latin America by um, Eduardo Galeno. And this is incredible. We're talking about books that literally talk about the history of the United States before it was the United States. The history of the United States before Americans, before the English. But when the native tribes between Mexico, the United States, and Canada were literally all engulfed in free trade and all the same blood because they were all engaged in cross-population. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a time and a place where when you read about it, you're like, holy fuck, what happened to these people? And then you're like, oh, the British. Yeah. Oh, it's... A, oh. Oh, it's... So it's a, to you, it's a oh, book it's that you read horrible. at one point and, and resonated with you in a certain way. And now rereading it as an adult, it definitely resonates with you in a different way. Yes, exactly. And and you know what? That might be a theme to books that I reread because when I think about books like Open Veins or books like, um, you know, Memories Legion or, um, you know, like, like all... like I, I have one like that, actually. A book that I actually reread about once a year mm-hmm. that I take away something different every time I reread it. And it's hard to say because I was really proud of the fact that I read reread this book every year until the last like five or six years, and I felt very uncomfortable with it. I reread Starship Troopers about once a year. Oh, Highland! And if you've only seen the movie, oh no, 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 no. Okay, so the Highland, movie Highland, yeah. Go yeah. ahead, go ahead. So, so let, let, I'll do the movie, and then I'll let you talk about the book all day. So the movie was made by Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven made RoboCop. RoboCop is a movie about a cop who doesn't stop because he's a robot and he was programmed by police to and the stop police are bad. crime. And the police are bad and crime is also bad. But also this cop stops crime by shooting just everyday citizens in the face because that's what he does. And that's what the police programmed him to do. It's all kinds of fucked up. So when you watch the movie Starship Troopers and you get the vibe that this is a very warlike culture that's like super ready to go to war. And as soon as there is an alien, they're like, yeah, fucking war. That was on purpose. That was the Paul Verhoeven part. That was the part where you're like, maybe war is bad. Maybe we don't fight the bugs. Maybe we. And then all those people are shoved into the dirt and called like you know, ethnic slurs by bullies because it's a Paul Verhoeven movie and it's about guns and mutilation and murder. You cannot vote unless you Yeah, there's literally a plot point in the movie where you cannot vote unless you've served in the military. That's called being a citizen. Mm -hmm. Everyone else... No, 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 that's called being a, 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 a... 
Is it a veteran and everyone else is no, a citizen? citizen. It's citizen? Or you're a citizen and everyone else is something else? No, like, like your citizen right is that you mm-hmm. have enlisted and right. participated in military. Yeah, it, it, it is from school where they test you and, and, and display your scores publicly. You have the choice of which branch of the military you will get chosen yeah. for. And the only problem with these kids' lives in the in the movie is that they were chosen to which part of the military they were going to go into in a time of war. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to go fight and die. And that's the fucking action of their lives. Not, but it's very much the, the movie very much pokes fun at the military and, and, and industrial the book, complex. Yes. And, and then the book is very much is, is actually industrial pro- complex yeah. and it's like the book is actually well, pro- you know, that. these aliens really are other when we think about yeah. it and maybe we should shoot them yeah yeah Heinlein so Heinlein, kind of a Nazi Heinlein can be difficult and civilians versus citizens thank you chat that was actually the term that we needed for this mm-hmm. um yeah, I do go back and reread this book about once a year, and I take away something different from it every time, and I'm not always happy with it, but I think that's part of the, the one of the best things about his writing. No, absolutely. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I get, like, his pro-war, pro-government like rhetoric, but the more I read it, the angrier I'm getting, and, like, no, and it's, being, it's a long enough timeline. And, and maybe that's a sign of, like, maturity, and I don't mean to, like, fucking fillet myself or anyone else, but, like, the... Being able to read something you like with a critical eye and still finding the joy in it while also finding the, like, oh, that's some horse shit. I've, for me, it was Clockwork Orange. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, Fight Club. I mm. reread Fight Club in a very different way now than I did back then. I was so lucky. Uh, so, and this is, this is one of mine. Mm-hmm. Is um I didn't read Fight Club until about uh, eight years after I saw the movie. Oh, uh, you were very and fortunate. The I, movie. I, I watched the movie and read the book because, the, of, because of a certain person who was not on the show anymore. The movie was a David Fincher movie that made me understand that not only were movies good at telling stories, but movies could actually be art. And not art in the like uh, pretentious sense of it being about something without being about something. The fact was that David Fincher made a movie based on a book by trying to make the movie feel like the book because you can do that with movies you can move the way transitions change and you can you can add a single frame of a human being into an entire context of a conversation and make that about something completely different and that made me realize that movies were important because of how they're made not just what they're about and that's why I love Fight Club and I didn't read the book until years later and I was like Palinik has issues yeah he does he's got He's got all kinds of issues. I like them. Which 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 I upsets me because them. the couple times I submitted my my writing for publication, they were like, "You write a lot like Palinik," and I'm like, "I've only read like one of his books, guys." Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, um, it's not my fault. We like the same shit, and it's yeah, gross. That's that's where we are. <laughs> uh, let's move on from uh, rereadable. Uh, are there any genres when it comes to reading that you're heavily into? I mean. If I'm going to be entirely honest, everything is sci-fi. Yeah. Everything that isn't sci-fi should be sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Like, Dune isn't sci-fi. It's, like, existential yeah, philosophical shit. I mean, but it's... Uh, no, no, no. That face you're making is because I said it's not sci-fi. Okay. It's a thousand percent sci-fi. Right. It is 
thousands and tens of thousands of years in the future Mm -hmm. based on who we are now. Right. That is actually sci-fi. Every cyberpunk book you've ever read is actually sci-fi. But when I've only read Neuromancer like ten times, y'all. But my favorite sci-fi series, and the, the, this doesn't it, okay. So there are sci-fi series, and there's my favorite books of all time. Mm-hmm. My favorite sci-fi series is a fantasy series called the Cold Fire Trilogy, okay. and the reason that this series that. is interesting to me, and the reason that I, I really would like you to read it, is because it is a dark fantasy series dark like red wine dark like you get into it and you appreciate the vampirism and the blood and the dark deep well, you are magic you are speaking system. my fucking language and the way that the the world retaliates against you when you claim too much power and like it's just such an amazing series my and when you heart get sings out to when you get to the second book you're like this is a sci-fi series mm-hmm. oh my god this is the hardest sci-fi i've ever read my entire life yeah. and you're like i didn't see this coming that's that's my what was sci-fi. The, the series the cold fire trilogy okay. i'm going to bring you all three books in person next time <laughs> i see you um but the reason that I talk about this when I talk about sci-fi is because all the best sci-fi is hidden in something else because sci-fi is never about the technology. Okay. And this is why the only series that I can recommend to anyone right now is The Expanse. Expanse. Take a drink. Here we go. The Expanse. The Expanse is a sci-fi series about uh, the jet engines... Being able to travel faster than sound, not faster than light. We we don't because we're human, and it, it, I mean, if you're being completely realistic, this is the way we're it's going to happen. It gives us a solar system, our our travel, our our engine that we invent. It doesn't give us the stars because it, it's too far away. Realistically, like mm-hmm. it's the difference between going into your backyard and into another state. What's the difference between going a hundred yards and a hundred thousand million light years? That are the those are the distances we're talking about, and this is the way that the sci-fi is set up. So when we start the expanse, we're very happy, mm-hmm. very very happy that we can put a starbase on a moon orbiting Saturn that collects solar light and is a place where we can farm vegetables. Mm-hmm. And we're out in the asteroid belt between Earth and Mars mining water so that we can have fresh water for Earth and for the belt because they live in space and they don't have water and air and we need to get it for them from planets. And that's what we do. And then all of a sudden in this series, very, very, very quickly, humans need to fucking decide that it's okay that now it's not the solar system it's the universe mm-hmm. and what are we doing what are we doing with ourselves how are we who am i in this system and that is why this series is the best i've ever read when it comes to the, a lot of people talk about it like game of thrones because a lot of people and this is coming from a fantasy guy and i haven't read fantasy in a lot of years and this is one of our uh, upcoming questions is what have you read recent uh, like like in the past that you haven't read recently and for me it's fantasy and the reason i haven't read fantasy lately is because all of the expanse that is sci-fi is also fantasy. Um, 
in a way that it will present a situation in a context in sci-fi rather than fantasy, but in a way that's completely relatable, and then ask the people around it, who both you already know and completely new people who you will meet, how they react to this in their world. So if all of a sudden someone's like, oh, there are goblin attacks, it's like, how would a human being react to goblin attacks when their life is farm-y and rural? Mm. And then in space... How would you react to, oh, hey, this technology came from an alien race and we don't really understand it, but you can breathe longer. Are you okay? Are you okay with that? Uh, I, I, I don't know how to feel about that, but I'm going to read a book about a whole bunch of people who are about to figure out how they feel about that. And that's what makes The Expanse wonderful in the way that rereading books and in the way that my favorite genres all do and the way that people talk about it, like Game of Thrones in space, because what they love about George R. R. Martin is his ability to ground people in an epic setting, mm-hmm. is that this is what The Expanse does. is It grounds real human beings who are the same as us in this situation we've been reading oh, about. Holden is probably one of the best protagonists in, oh the, in my a God. book series ever. Oh, I know. He's he's he is such a non-protagonist. Yeah. He is such a I think this is right. Oh god, I ruined everything. I shouldn't have opened my fucking mouth. I guess I'm going to spend the rest of my life dealing with the consequences of this bullshit. Yep. Maybe I shouldn't have been 20 years old when something epic happened to me. Right. Um when it comes to genres that I'm heavily into um I'm into hard sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking like gritty cyberpunk, not mm. gl- not glam cyberpunk, very mm. gritty cyberpunk. Uh, I'm into hard sci-fi like The Expanse. Yeah. When we say hard sci-fi, that's a a sci-fi that takes its its sci-fi roots um, in based off reality, right? So, so le- it- less Star Trek. More right. aliens. Right. So when we talk about like hard versus soft sci-fi, when we talk about uh, Star Trek, like they can travel faster than light. They can get to the next solar system and the amount of time it takes them to have a conversation. In The Expanse, much as in the Game of Thrones books, not TV show, if you talk about the later seasons, in The Expanse, it takes several months to travel between Earth and Ganymede, a moon orbiting Saturn, and even more months to travel to the Ringi that lets them into the solar system from Ganymede out to, say, around the orbit of Neptune. Um, This is all real time that humans have to live and have to think about. That's what makes hard sci-fi. That's what makes hard fantasy to me. That's what made Game of Thrones what it was, and honestly, that is a huge factor in what makes The Expanse so relatable. Now, not a genre that I'm particularly into, because uh, how the fuck do you quantify it? I will say I want to talk specifically about audiobooks. I've been listening to, uh, or I have listened to a lot of the Star Wars audiobooks, Ooh. and that is mostly because they are presented as radio plays and not traditional audiobooks. I like that. I so like that. there's a lot of sound effects and a lot of just like playing up everything. So yeah. I'm a really big fan of that. So this um, was a couple of years ago, but do you remember when that uh, radio play came out on Audible of like the uh, not made script for Alien 3? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, and, and they basically did a bunch of voices. They even got uh, what's-his-name back to do uh, the robot, mm-hmm. and they basically read the script out 
in audiobook form on Audible for you to listen to while you went home of the Alien 3 script that was never made and instead we got the David Fincher thing where Ripley shaved her head. It was, yeah, all, was, it was the whole thing. It was a weird. Uh, just real quick questions. We have to start winding this, the, the episode down. Uh, just real quick, I want to know, are there any genres that you used to read but maybe don't anymore? Yeah, um, and it's de- the, the reason it, it's fantasy, and the it's reason me, it's fantasy. For it's me James S. A. Corey, it's Robert Cargill, and uh, like like the authors that are the the writers of the Expanse, mm-hmm. um, from the novellas to everything else. The reason I'm not reading fantasy right now is because between George R. R. Martin addicting me to like people being grounded in the worlds to this, I. I can't find any other fantasy like that, and everything I want to find is in sci-fi. See, for me, it's the opposite direction. It's just that I read a lot of Tolkien growing up. Obviously, you know the Narnia stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have all J.K. Rowling, which you know it is fantasy. Here's my problem: is that a lot of fantasy tries to be um, uh, uh, Tolkien. Yeah, um, I, I read Salvatore growing up. I read the Dritz series. I read Dragonlance, a lot of D and D fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem is, it's such a time investment with the understanding of the universe and that's fucking hard for me the expanse while it has a lot of intricacy to it is based in our reality so we don't have to explain too much other than like the epstein drive by the way horrible name but that we didn't know that at the time yeah we didn't Um, know that at the time that this was long before any but like (laughs) but people want to write like tolkien and i appreciate it where they're like everybody has a language and everybody's like here's the lore here's the cimmerillion for literally everything and that's why i check out a fantasy at this point no for sure If, if everyone wants to be tolkien like like imagine if you walked into a movie studio with a bunch of young directors and everyone yeah. wanted to be fucking Kubrick and yeah, you know, I couldn't even get Scorsese. It's like get the but, fuck but, but, out of here. But it isn't even just a fantasy thing. It's mm-hmm. like I went in and I had got uh, I had finished watching the show The Magicians, which I think is brilliant mm, and amazing. I got through the first book of The Magicians and I was like, fuck that shit. That's fucking horrible. The care not because the book is horrible. It's actually very well written. Every character in the magicians is a piece of shit in the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There and are that, no redeemable characters. And that's, in the magicians. and that's the thing with with people our age too. Is that like, um, and I don't mean to, to like admonish an entire work for our feelings about certain characters, but it's the Shinji dilemma. Um, if we all grew up watching Evangelion and we all grew up with Kataru's fucking. Uh, <laughs> problems with women and like figuring out who we are in life. The Shinji dilemma, the, the hedgehog dilemma is so rote and so tired that when we experience people being pieces of shit in cinema, we're, we're bored. Mm. We're tired of it. We, we, we've come to a point where literally div- where our literary devices have become, um, annoying. Yeah. There's a really easy fictional device a lot of CW writers use where a character realizes something they didn't know before and look at someone else who knew this before and say, you lied to me, and they develop drama around that. Yeah. And that is like one of the laziest things I've ever seen. And it was a fundamental part of writing in the 80s and 90s. And now we're all just fucking tired of it because that's not how humans beings communicate. Right. So 
this is where we move forward when it comes to writing. And I feel like there's this disconnect right now between fantasy and, and sci-fi where it's like, this is the way that we're writing people, but this is how people actually talk. And I don't, again, I don't mean to puff up the expanse too much, but when I read and listen to and think about the books in the expanse, the thing I think about most, much like when I think about a good adventure video game where characters are always interacting, I think about the dialogue and I think about the way that people talk to each other and how real it is. And that's what I'm getting from sci-fi right now. And I'm not getting it from much of fantasy. Okay. So let's jump into our last question. We've been talking about books for a while, and we mm-hmm. honestly could probably do a second episode purely about oh, talking yeah. about books. Oh, yeah. Like uh, the three or four. Uh, for our audience out there, if they are looking for books, let's give some recommendations, right? Like just go through your list, talk about some stuff. Um, if you're into horror, uh, Stephen King's Night Shift. Big, oh, yeah. Big one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I still want to keep saying, like, please do read Meredith Ann Pierce's Dark Angel trilogy. Again, it probably takes a Wikipedia at the end of it to, like, understand everything that happened. But it's a very beautiful, magical realm, and it it's this line between sci-fi and fantasy, which isn't seen very often. Uh, big fan of that. Um, I want to throw out some things like... Uh, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. Mm. That is a story about his life. And he may be not the best influence, but he has some really great, like, you know, here's how you should approach things in life recommendations. It's fun. Yeah. No, that sounds awesome. Uh, um, for yeah, me, all, my, all of my recommendations are... Um, so when it comes to, like, big series like The Expanse, like, I can't recommend that enough, but I'm sure you've heard that from a million places. Um, if you like audiobooks, get an audiobook. If you like paperbacks, if you like hardcovers, get it that way. Keep them, cherish them. That series is going to influence a lot of things for a long time, I think. When it comes to book recommendations, um, the things... They give me comfort lately, uh, especially audiobook-wise, are things that are read by authors that I either can't hear anymore or who aren't doing a lot. Um, a big one for me lately has been Anthony Bourdain, since he died a couple years ago. He wrote a lot of books, and when Audible came along, he recorded the audio for all of them because he liked the work and he loved doing audio for his own episodes. You can watch any of his TV shows do that, too. Um, his CNN series is on HBO Max. Uh, his Travel Channel series is probably uh, somewhere on cable. And his Food Network series is on the Food Network streaming. But honestly, all of his shows he spent doing voiceover work and on all of his books, you can feel it coming out of him in a way where he feels like the content is his own. Mm-hmm. He talks about things outside of food, outside of travel, like uh, specific people he interacted with and whether or not they're assholes and, uh, you know, what kind of food he likes and his best friends and weird experiences he had with them, but he's always doing it in his own voice. And part of what I love about audiobooks is exactly that, is people were calling their own experiences into a microphone. I'm going to throw just a handful of titles out there, and I apologize for just kind of blasting it. Um, we've got things like The Fireman uh, by Joe Hill. Anything by Joe Hill, by the way. Horns, also oh, absolutely horns. fantastic. Great movie. Uh, in the Tall Grass, uh, both Stephen King and Joe Hill worked on that. You can find it in both audiobook and book format. 
Um, Strange Weather by Joe Hill, absolutely fantastic. Uh, North Myth- Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman. Oh, that's a good American one. American Gods, one. Neil Gaiman. Uh, you're going to find a, a, a like repeating patterns with all of this. Uh, good Omens, by the way, one of my favorite books. I reread that about once a year. Oh, yeah. Well, read Good Omens, listen to Good Omens, and then watch the, the, the series on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Uh, the Princess... The Princess Diarist by Carrie Fisher. Ooh. Um, the audiobook is actually narrated by her daughter. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Metro 2033. Um, if you're into the Metro games, like seriously, just it's basically Lovecraft in Russia when, with Chernobyl. A little disturbing right now considering current events. Uh, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schreier, mm-hmm. uh, which is about just the working conditions in the video game industry. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, let's see here. Super Gods by Grant Morrison. That's a weird one because Grant Morrison is a weird dude and he's going to talk about his religious beliefs, which are like really fucking out there. Oh, yeah, but it's, it's out a, there. But it's a very fascinating character study. Um, any of the Star Wars audiobooks, I highly recommend. Um, let's see. I'm just going to go. Stay a while and listen is a very uh, interesting one. There's a sequel about to come out or has come out, which is the history of blizzard software, not the blizzard we know now, but the blizzard from in the past, which is very fascinating. Uh, the ultimate history of video games by Stephen Kent. It is a very big book. Um, but it is a de facto like go to for just, um, understanding the history behind uh, where video games come from. I won't go into all of these books, but I will say that anything that's done by Penn Jillette is absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. So please no. read mm. those. It's uh, It does come from an atheist perspective, so if that's not your jam, um, it won't be interesting. But things like Every Day is an Atheist Holiday or God No, all fascinating books. Oh, one of the know, more I love those things books. Where he, he tells such amazing stories. Uh, one of the big things is like how he talks about how they handle religious holidays within his family. Um, so like things like Christmas or New Year's that are typically a little more Christian in nature and how his non-Christian household um, approaches those. And they're actually very beautiful stories. Uh, things like Paddle Your Own Canoe by Nick Offerman. Absolutely fantastic. Like Anything by Nick Offerman, just go ahead and just oh, it's gonna be great. that. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, do you have some more do you want to tack on real quick before we go? Nothing fun. Uh, uh, all of the rest of my literature is all like kind of angry and sad to to be honest like okay. uh what am i talking about like like i i love chuck palahniuk and like things like that and uh i always find a lot of like fun and stuff by like felicia day and frank herbert but when you talked about Pendulette, it really brought me back to like what i read and what I read mostly is nonfiction meant to make me think about things. And like when I think about Pendulette, that that reminds me of like the whole like atheist kick that I was on as a kid, which brought me to stuff like, uh, uh, you know, like North Mythology by Neil Gaiman and uh, like The Words Radiance by Brandon Silverson. But um, uh, also, the foundational falsehoods of creationism by Aaron Ra. You know, it, it, there's a lot of nonfiction in here and stuff that uh, really like gets my goat. I know that we both read Blitzed, 
mm-hmm. um, about the you know how Nazis were all on meth for oh, like that most of the third right, and that's some fascinating stuff. So like this is where all of my nonfiction reading lies. It's either about how like people were murdered so that we can have America, mm-hmm. or how like the Nazis were all on meth and that's how they won a war for like three months and then were killed. Yeah. What are you reading right now? Before we go. Uh, right now, before we go, I am literally still on the last book of the Expanse saga, and I'm the, I, I have like an hour left of it, and then I'm moving into the novella that comes after it, and then I'm done with it forever, and then I'll probably restart it. After that, I'm going to finish a, um, a very fun book called Slugfest that's about the uh, comic book industry that I still haven't finished. Nice. I'm in the middle of two books right now. It's called The first one is called The Supergirls which is about fashion, feminism, fantasy, and the history of comic book heroines. Awesome. It is very much about um, how shitty women have been treated in the comic book industry. And not oh. specifically like the artists, but like su- female superheroes. Movies. How about- far we've come, basically, about like how far feminism has come History in about how women were treated shittily historically is like exactly why I read. <laughs> yeah. And the second book that I'm reading right now is Disrupting the Game from the Bronx to the Top of Nintendo. It is uh, a really cool history of uh, Reggie uh, Filiami, uh, who was like the head of Nintendo for a long time. Oh, yeah, and he, Reggie. He, he does two things in it. He tells life stories and then also mm. gives management advice at the end of them. Very fascinating book. Highly recommend Sounds that. Sounds good. Um, all right. We have talked about books for a long time. We have been going for a very long time tonight. We need to go ahead and wrap things up. That is everything that we have for the show this week. Don't forget that you can head over to patreon.com slash gnggcast to become a patron of our show. You can head over to facebook.com slash gnggcast where you can chat with us and head over to uh, at gnggcast on Twitter. I promise you Patreon episode is coming up soon, but until soon. next time, for Hector, this is James. And for James, this has been Hector. Everyone, good night. And good game. Good game.